But as unions, we'll keep reminding our political leaders commitment that they have made that they must keep and that citizens or people must be at the center point of our policies and programs. Hello, sisters and brothers, and welcome to the Solidarity Center podcast, an interview show that highlights and celebrates the individuals working for labor rights, the freedom to form unions, and democracy across the globe. I'm your host, Shauna Bader-Blau. I'm also the executive director of the Solidarity Center in Washington, D.C. We're the largest U.S.-based international worker rights organization. We empower workers to raise their voice for dignity on the job, for justice in their communities, and for greater equality in the global economy, and for one just future. What happens when millions of workers suddenly have no jobs and no income? The COVID-19 pandemic has made this a reality across the globe and challenged all of us in the union movement. My guest today is Ayuba Weba, president of the Nigerian Labor Congress, the NLC. He will give us an inside look at the work of the Nigerian labor movement in this time of crisis, how unions opened a dialogue with employers and the government to establish social protections for workers during the pandemic, basic rights like sick leave, access to protective equipment and health care, and livable wages. But what happens when dialogue isn't enough? As we will hear, workers and their unions used their voice and their power when the government tried to raise taxes on key services like electricity and fuel to ensure there were no tax increases on basic goods. Ayuba is also president of the International Trade Union Confederation, the ITUC, which represents 207 million workers in 163 countries around the world. So he also tells us about efforts being made at the global level to build a post-COVID world where all workers are covered by social protections. As a global union leader, he is at the forefront of an international campaign to ensure the future of work ensures good jobs, as well as green jobs that address the ongoing challenges of climate change. We are so fortunate Brother Ayuba could join us today. His accomplishments as a distinguished public health specialist and union leader at the national and global levels are so impressive. As I listened back to this interview, it became clear that this is essentially a masterclass in how unions can respond in a crisis. My name is uh, Ayuba Waba. I'm uh, the president of the Nigerian Labor Congress and uh, also the International Trade Union Confederation. Well, thanks for joining us today. And, you know, I realize we're actually having this conversation a year into the global pandemic, which, you know, has devastated lives and livelihoods all over the world. And I wonder if you could describe, in your view, how are workers being impacted by this pandemic? Well, I think uh, this is really a challenging period uh, for workers and even businesses globally. Uh, because the negative impact of the COVID-19 on businesses and uh, on workers is something that uh, is uh, unimaginable. Uh, let me share my experience here in our country, where we have disruption uh, in all the business lines, in the production lines, 
there have been disruption of production lines. And uh, in most cases, workers are sent on leave and uh, without pay. And uh, looking at our economy, we are more than 70%. It's actually in the informal sector is even very more challenging. Mm. And uh, this is a sector where you don't have social security cover mm. uh, for more than 82%. Uh, in fact, the figure for Africa is that 82% of the population is not covered by any form of social security benefit. And therefore, once you are sent home, you are on your own. Uh, you don't have sick leave benefit. Uh, you don't have leave benefit. And uh, the, you don't have social security cover. So it's very challenging and pronounced in developing countries like Nigeria. And therefore, unions also have to find ways and means of even protecting jobs. We then had an accord with the employers' organization, Nigerian employers' organization. We are the first country to sign an MOU with the employers' organization that workers cannot be sacked or should not be sacked without social dialogue, where the issues can be put on the table, we can have a discussion, and we can have ways and means of protecting those workers and ensuring that their means of livelihood is not cut off without any social protection cover. And I think that have assisted to a larger extent. Uh, secondly, because of the fact also that uh, our health system is not perfect and uh, the health system has been overstretched, just like other countries. And that's how we come up with uh, an allowance called inducement and hazard allowance. That all health workers, nurses, doctors, pharmacists that are on the front line uh, should be able to have 50% of their salary as inducement allowance. That is to encourage them and also to motivate them. Uh, we also had to fight for uh, insurance cover. Uh, to cover those category of health workers uh, in the event they got infected and uh, possibly they die, that there should be full payment of uh, insurance cover for such category of workers. Uh, so by and large, this has been the trend, and we have continued, the unions have continued. In fact, we opened a platform, labor and civil society uh, platform, where virtually we have been discussing and interacting. And uh, I've also led a team of labor leaders to interact directly with the presidential committee that is in charge of the COVID, led by the secretary to the government of the Federation of Nigeria. And uh, we insisted that despite the challenge of the COVID-19, uh, because largely our economy is driven by informality, we interface with government to say that government also must intervene to provide some form of support uh, to citizens. And I think there is a target to extend social security cover to 24 million Nigerians. And uh, they are creating 774,000 jobs uh, and, uh, from each of the local governments that we have. Because the primary responsibility of every government is welfare and security of the people. But we have been up and doing to actually give a voice uh, to those workers that we represent uh, to ensure that their, worker, their voices are heard. We have done contestation uh, using yeah. workers' power and using some rallies to actually raise concern about issues and uh, areas where we think attention have not been given. Uh, so by and large, those are some of the areas we have tried to intervene. But this situation is really, really bad when you look at uh, the economy, the uh, health implication, the health situation, and uh, the fact also that the main stake of our economy has been affected. Uh, because Can of you doing... tell us a little bit about the impact on informal workers and other vulnerable workers in particular that you've seen? How, what has the impact on, on lives and livelihoods been of this pandemic? Uh, for informal sector workers, in fact, they have been more on the receiving end. 
Because for formal sector workers, we have insisted that their salary must continue to be paid, even if there are lockdowns, and uh, that has continued. But for informal sector workers, it has been very difficult, uh, despite the fact that we have interfaced with uh, the, the employer's organization. We had some understanding, but you know, in the informal sector, many of them are not covered uh, by unions, and many of them also, uh, those small and medium-scale enterprises are not covered by the employer's organization. That, so that's where we had a lot of challenge. But the Central Bank of Nigeria actually intervened because we made a point that those businesses must be bailed out. There must be funds actually to bail out those businesses so that we can save jobs. And I'm happy to inform you that uh, a lot of money has been released. Uh, like private schools, money was given to them to pay salary of teachers uh, because at that time it's a private school. People are not paying uh, school fees and therefore they couldn't pay their teachers. Government intervened. Uh, also, in small and medium-scale enterprises, uh, government intervened actually to give them some uh, packages so that they can also protect those vulnerable workers. Uh, but it has not been a 100% success. Some workers were still affected and uh, they were sacked or they lose their jobs. And most of them became destitute until mm. we are able to tell government now to intervene through palliatives. So food mm. were distributed and uh, a lot of other palliatives were distributed. And I think that is what assisted. But uh, that didn't go down very well uh, because we realized that despite the fact that uh, a lot of those items were procured, some of the state governments actually hid uh, some of those palliatives in warehouses. Um, you can see people carrying one bag of rice, somebody putting it on his head from the warehouse and uh, uh, catching away with it. And uh, that is part of the desperation. But I must tell you the fact that uh, the informal sector was worse hit. Uh, but I think a lot of interventions came. But uh, with our population of uh, more than 200 million people, it will be difficult. And I'm talking about more than 70% of that population uh, being in the informal sector. And most of them had to find their means of livelihood uh, on daily basis. They go out in the morning and find what to eat with their family in the evening. So it makes it very difficult and uh, very challenging. But I think by and large, uh, we are getting out of it. And that's why even with the second wave of the COVID, it has been very, and uh, you know, the cases have uh, actually even surpass the uh, first wave. But because of the fact that we need to strike a balance between allowing people to get means of livelihood, the economy may even crumble uh, because we realize that, as I was saying earlier, the main stake of our economy is the petroleum. And the price of petroleum have continued to dwindle. And therefore, the revenue accruing to government is also at its lowest ebb this year. I wanted to ask you about that because I know, you know, behind these gains that the Nigerian Labor Congress has made during this year for workers is also its negotiation and its power. And I know the Nigerian Labor Congress is not afraid to use its voice and power when needed. Can you tell me about um, a time this year where workers stood up and fought back against things like electricity and petrol uh, prices and other challenges? Yes, uh, because of the challenge in the economy, because as I speak to you now, our budget for 2021 cannot be funded. In fact, they are trying to borrow because half of the sum required to fund the budget is not there because the revenue accruing to government from taxes and sale of uh, petroleum products will not be able to fund the budget. So uh, government ha now have resorted to taking some austerity measures, including the issue of uh, removing subsidy that uh, we used to enjoy on electricity and uh, also subsidy on uh, the pump price of premium motor spirit 
Uh, but this will have uh, also devastating effect on workers because their wages have remained stagnant. So if you add to their out-of-pocket expenses, it then means that uh, it will be a double tragedy, the tragedy of COVID-19 and also the tragedy of multiple city of taxes. So when that pronouncement was made without any consultation with labor, uh, we had to issue notice of national strike. And uh, quickly, government had to resort to inviting us uh, for dialogue at the highest level. And uh, therefore, we had to stop first that increase of uh, electricity tariff and go into dialogue. In fact, by and large, many Nigerians supported uh, that action we took. And uh, many Nigerians were ready to join uh, because of the fact that uh, many Nigerians are in very difficult situations uh, right now because of the challenge of COVID-19. Uh, because businesses are not uh, uh, are underperforming, and uh, uh, people that uh, earn income, uh, most of their income have been disrupted, and therefore is uh, a survival that uh, is so difficult. So that is why we had to respond uh, to actually draw the attention of government. And uh, such approach is very, very necessary. If not, absolute power with governments, you know that uh, they will always work uh, in, not in the interest of citizens. And uh, we thought that. Governance should be about justice. You have just made the case for why the right to strike and the right to have unions are fundamental to democracy and fundamental to good governance and good outcomes of policy around the world. I mean, really, congratulations for standing up and making that change on behalf of Nigerian uh, citizens who all benefit inside and outside the labor movement. It's very inspiring. And I've been thinking as well as you're talking about your role as the president of the International Trade Union Confederation. And I know that this year you have been promoting the idea of a global social protection fund. Um, I, I read an ITUC survey that showed only 50% of people around the world had any social protection responses from their government during the pandemic. You talked about excluded, vulnerable, informal workers, and um, there are many others in countries where they got no social support, no social protection, despite the lockdowns and the hardship economically. And I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about this idea of a global social protection fund. What would it mean? What would it do? Well, thank you very much. It is true that uh, before the crisis, only half of the world population had access to any form of social protection, and only a third of the world population had access to comprehensive social protection in line with the ILO standard. So you can see how challenging it is. And therefore, uh, the COVID-19 challenge has exposed the inadequacies in the entire social protection uh, system. And that's why uh, we thought that it's important that uh, we try to now advance the issue of universal social protection so that there will be funds uh, to be able to make sure that the current shock and even subsequent shocks uh, can be able to be addressed in various countries if we have uh, the issue of having pools that will be dedicated to social protection uh, in protecting uh, workers. Uh, so basically, uh, there is actually the idea of also campaign for new social contracts. Uh, the new social contract is to ensure that we're able to accommodate this issue of uh, universal social protection in our collective bargaining agreements 
and uh, also uh, in our various instruments that we have used to protect workers' interests. Uh, this is very important and fundamental uh, because of the fact that uh, a lot of resources will be required and many countries don't have these resources. And that's why I gave you the example of uh, particularly Africa, where 82% of the population is not covered by any form of social benefit. So it has been a priority of ITUC. It has been a priority of our leadership uh, to actually lead the campaign for a new social contract that will guarantee uh, social protection for everybody. In fact, if we're able to uh, look at uh, the various support uh, that uh, multinational agencies are giving countries and we're able to harness those resources together. We are also trying to have a campaign uh, to make sure that COVID-19 is one of the diseases that is also covered uh, by occupational health and safety. For instance, workers contract uh, the COVID, they will be able to be entitled to sick pay. Uh, they will be able to be entitled to all forms of coverage. All workers, including casual workers, including migrant workers, uh, including workers that are uh, working in the precarious uh, sector, because this is very important. If not, the inequality gap between the rich and the poor will continue to be widened. So I heard you talk about health and safety as a human right for everyone. No discrimination, rights for all workers, living wages, and universal social protection as foundational for a new social contract. And I, I wanted to ask you specifically about um, the issue of discrimination. And, you know, I know that the Nigerian Labor Congress is a leader in Africa and in the global labor movement in promoting an end to gender-based violence in the workplace and uh, gender discrimination. And I wondered if you could share just a little bit about how uh, uh, the vision of ending discrimination uh, on the basis of race or gender or immigration status uh, or any other form of discrimination is part of the um, ITUC's vision for a new social contract. As we speak, only half of the world population had access to any form of social protection, and only a third of the world population had access to comprehensive social protection in, in line with ILO standards. Uh, in the context of Africa, including my country, Nigeria, uh, the situation is even more acute. So you cannot have social justice in such a perverse situation. And that is why ITUC is leading the campaign for a new social contract, one that will guarantee fundamental rights, both human and trade union rights, that will guarantee also equal opportunity for everybody, including gender rights, including climate issues. We believe that the new social contract should be very comprehensive, that will also address the issue of sick leave, even for those that are in temporary jobs, or those that are uh, in the informal sector. Uh, because, uh, as I said, those in the informal sector are even more in number. Uh, in my country, more than 70% of our workforce are in the informal sector. And those categories of people are not covered. And uh, the COVID-19 challenge has exposed the inadequacies in the current global system, where you have a situation where many have no means of livelihood. They cannot be able to pay their bills. They can't send their children to school. In some cases, they can't even assess health care, which is a fundamental right of every citizen. And so this is why we are leading the campaign for a new social contract for social justice. And as I said, the foundation of peace around the world, as enshrined in the ILO Constitution of 1919, is social justice.
is clearly stated that the panacea to global peace, and that, this, that was coming after the First World War, is to say that social justice is the panacea to global peace. And you can have a connect with that. Possibly that's why we're having this social obcuvious in many countries, because many people have been alienated. So basically, I think uh, that foundation principle is what ITUC is promoting, that for us to have peace, there, is, there must be social justice. And having a new social contract that promotes universal social protection is one of those social justices that, are, that is required at this point in time. As I said earlier, you see, when you see the structure of the world today, in the last one decade, wealth has more than tripled. It's a fact. But in many, many of our countries, including the very rich countries, poverty has also been very perverse. And therefore, the inequality gap between the rich and the poor have continued to be widened. That should not be the case if we have a social security cover that actually set a basis, a minimum standard, a minimum threshold that can be able to address this current challenge and even future shocks. And that is why we are actually conversing for a new social contract and uh, all of us at the ITUC through our organs, uh, led by the General Secretary and my humble self, all of us are committed uh, to making sure that this takes place. When the government tried to increase prices and taxes in the middle of the pandemic, Nigerian workers and their unions stood up to hold the government accountable. That's what working people can accomplish through their unions. That's democracy. Our conversation with Ayuba Weba continues after the break. Hi there, it's Shauna again. I just wanted to take a minute to invite you to check out Radio Labor, the international labor movement's radio service. Radio Labor produces daily newscasts about union events and issues, and it also produces special programs to support labor campaigns around the world. Check out Radio Labor at radiolabour.net and find out more about worker rights struggles around the world and how the movement is supporting their efforts for decent wages, fair treatment, and strong communities. Follow and subscribe at radiolabour.net. If I could could shift uh, gears, you know, a little bit, building off your comments about a new social contract to achieve peace through social justice. When you think about the future of work and you think about coming out of COVID and building back better, how does how does climate change and the climate crisis play into uh, your thoughts about the the future of work and the post COVID? building back better that we as the working class need to do globally? The issue of climate change has been affecting the world of work uh, negatively in many countries. In fact, uh, the main stake of our economy outside oil and gas is farming. But of recent, there have been a lot of changes. We are through desertification. The savanna uh, 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 vegetation is uh, being eroded. And in most cases, you can see that the clash between herders and farmers have become a major issue in Nigeria. 
because herders are migrating from the northern part of the country towards the southern part of the country where you have the Antarctic Ocean so that their cows and animals can be able to graze. So it's an ongoing issue that trade unions need to engage. And in fact, it's one of the priorities of the ILO, International Labour Organization, and also one of our key campaign pillars of the International Trade Union Confederation. We are part of uh, institutions that are supposed to promote countries to key into those initiatives and also declarations that have been made uh, to make sure that the issue of climate change is taken very seriously and also is taken uh, so that we can be able to address some of those issues. So uh, trade unions are part and parcel of those issues because we don't operate in isolation. And uh, in some trades, uh, there have been a challenge of even job losses arising from uh, the challenge of uh, climate change and also climate issues. And that's why uh, it's also one of our priorities. Uh, and uh, we thank God that even in some climes now, particularly the U.S., the new government is now committed to joining the wall. And I think uh, that is uh, something that uh, is cheering. And I want to commend the American Federation of Labor the Solidarity Center for all the good work uh, that went into the campaigns. Uh, last year, I think last year I was uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, when the CBTA had their World Congress. I was there as a guest, and I recall I saw a lot of effort that went into the campaign. I remember even at that meeting they had a primaries for all the candidates. And I remember even Joe Biden was the person actually that won the primaries. That is, I think, one or two years before the general election. So I think I must commend them, and I think it's one of the issues we are taking on board, that we must also be politically conscious if we don't get the right people uh, in politics to be able to change those situations. We may have the number, but if we have the number and we don't use the number, we don't use workers' power, progress that uh, is in the positive side. Thank you, and we are really uh, pleased to be back in the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. And I was thinking when you were talking about that story of uh, people competing for livelihoods in Nigeria between herders and farmers because of desertification and the loss of arable land and the loss of lake water um, that people need to survive. I was thinking about how climate change is causing right now real life crisis for peoples and, and working peoples and, and poorer peoples all over the world. I've all, I was also thinking about how uh, in some countries that are big carbon emitters, like industrialized countries, there's often this debate about like, you have to have either a good environment or jobs that you know, we can't like lose certain jobs at the expense of having a good environment. There's, it's like a debate, a dichotomy. It feels almost like there's a, a sense that we can't have, you know, a good, healthy environment and strong, healthy jobs, that it has to be a zero-sum game. I wonder if you could talk a little about that from your experience and your perspective. We can have actually uh, jobs and also have a clean environment. And that's why the Green Energy Initiative is one issue that we are pushing. Uh, you don't need to contaminate the environment uh, for you to be able to retain jobs. Jobs can be retained. And we can actually uh, continue to produce using greener forms of energy uh, that actually emit a small amount of uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Uh, because all of us we are, will be at risk if the entire environment is contaminated. You are talking of many, many threats. Our fishermen here now, before, if they go fishing, 
they will be able to have bumper fishing. But now, because of the climate change and the warming, uh, it's very difficult for them even to continue to survive. In my country now, uh, there is actually uh, a particular ministry that is actually working on so greener energy, and we have a target, we have a plan, we have a priority uh, to ensure that uh, we're able to actually deliver on uh, the mandate and the goal of achieving greener energy by uh, in the next uh, couple of years. So I think it's doable if all of us are committed to doing it. I was going to ask you, you know, do trade union members in Nigeria think about the climate fight and the climate struggle as a, as a priority? We have a DEX officer now in NLC that is actually responding to the issue of climate change. And all our affiliates have actually established desks uh, to actually engage workers and get them to be on the same page uh, discussing the issue of climate change and also making them understand the argument so that in every fora they will be able to uh, speak for the issue and also protect workers' interests. You're talking about a gr greener energy future with good jobs, global social protections to protect people from terrible shocks to the economy that happen from time to time and all over the world. Um, a new social contract that ensures rights. I'm imagining a, a, a different world than we have now uh, that achieves all those gains. And, you know, someone like you who works both like domestically in your home country and globally on these issues, I wonder if you could share a little bit more about what that vision to the, of the future looks like to you. The global architecture as it is today, as I said, is not working for the majority and it's not delivering. And uh, that is why if you look at the challenges that are confronting uh, us at the world of work, uh, they are not quite different from one country to another. And therefore, the issue of uh, lack of social justice, uh, the issue of uh, gender, which is not mainstream in many countries, uh, the issue of climate change, uh, the issue of uh, even the COVID we are discussing, which has shocked the entire world, because even the advanced countries are actually confronting the issue as well as uh, countries that are developing. Uh, because before now we thought that uh, we, have reached, we have reached some level of technological advancement that issues like COVID will have been addressed if they came. Nobody imagined that there will be a disease called COVID that will actually uh, incapacitate the entire world and that flights will not fly and workers, even pilots, will be at home for months and that ships will not move and that workers will not go to work and that production lines will be disrupted. So I think we must have a system where the reoccurrence of this will actually have a solution. And that's why we said there is need for new social contract to address the current shock and also shocks that may likely come in the future. Unless we do that, then we are not also planning to address our future challenges. And I think the future challenges are challenges that we must continue to plan to work around them now. And that's why at the level of ITUC, we said, yes, with this challenge, where it has left more than half of the global population without any form of social security cover, and where many people have lost their job, there is something that needs to be done, and it needs to get a global buy-in. We need global champions. We need countries that are global champions. And uh, thank God at the last, last centenary of uh, 
the international labor organization. But as unions, as we are aware, will keep reminding our political leaders commitment that they have made that they must keep and that citizens or people must be at the center point of our policies and programs. It's not just about capital. It's not just about accumulating wealth. It's about the welfare and well-being of every citizen of the world. That will be the panacea to peace and progress everywhere in the world. So the absence of peace and the absence of social justice certainly will be affecting every of our countries if we are not uh, very careful in our planning. So our perspective is to see to it that every leader is committed and leaders that are not committed, citizens must be able to point out that very clearly to them and workers must also assess their authority, including using the workers' power to change the rules. The rules must be changed to work for the people, the majority. The rules should not work for the few because what is happening now, the global rules is working for the few. As I said, I mentioned the issue of illicit financial flow, where resources from many countries are taken outside their countries, but yet people in those countries are living in object poverty. So is the condition of many African countries that are very rich in mineral resources, but majority, 90%, are also extremely poor. So there is a challenge before all of us, and that is why the unions are there to continue to support workers and to continue to engage that those rules must change to work for. So our expectation is that we want to see a situation that the rules are changed. We want to see the global system working for the majority, not working for the few. We want to see a just transition. We want to see all of us, all our leaders committed to the issue of climate change. And we want all the variables delivered on time. And we should hold every of our leaders responsible for not delivering. It's a powerful reminder that uh, trade unions are behind an unspeakably large number of advancements for human and social rights across the world, from national liberation struggles for democracy to movements for more equality in countries and between countries. Trade union movements are foundational to social progress, social change, and social peace. And your powerful story today really paints that inspiring picture. And I just want to ask you one last question. With all this work and all these obstacles, what motivates you? What keeps you going? Well, uh, once I turn back and see the area of workers that are committed to bringing about positive change, it inspires me. Uh, because in the context of Nigeria, we have late struggles. We are thousands of workers came out using workers' power and using solidarity to address and change a lot of issues. And I think when I see this multitude of workers, which is part of the history of our struggle, I become excited and I become more committed uh, because it means they look onto us, leaders of the trade union around the world, to change the narrative, to make sure that system works for the majority. And I think that is the power that workers have. We need to use that workers' power to be able to represent them effectively. And I think in the context of Nigeria, uh, I think workers are very conscious of the fact that trade union power can change a lot of things. And nothing that we have gotten on the platter of gold. It has always been true collective struggle. Even during our long years of military rule, where you remember that NLC was prescribed on two occasions because of the struggle to represent workers' interests because of the struggle to entrench a democracy that worked for the people. 
the military prescribed NLC on two occasions. But we have come back very stronger. Stronger because the will is there and the workers are committed. In the past couple of years, we have had more than 20 campaigns where we mobilize workers to come out in the streets. We do campaigns. We march to the doorstep of employers that undermine workers' interests, that undermine fundamental trade union and human uh, rights, that we ma march to their doorstep and engage them. We have also engaged in several strikes that have forced government actually to take some actions. So this is the only language that some of our employers understand. They don't understand social dialogue on the basis of equality of our organization to come to the table and have a meaningful social dialogue where we ha can have a collective bargaining agreement. No, in most cases, we force them to come to the table and then negotiate. And then we can be able to have a package to represent the interests of our members. So I think that is what propelled some of us and inspire us to continue to give quality leadership that represent the interests of the workers because in trade union movement, power is from beneath. Our motto put it, injury to one remains injury to all of us. And therefore, for one worker, we can bring out 5,000 workers to actually protest and protect his interests. And that is the unity and solidarity that workers enjoy globally. And for one country, we can also do solidarity action to support one country among the uh, 163 member countries of uh, the International Trade Union Confederation. And we have demonstrated that severally. And I think that is the way to go in this unequal world uh, to bring about social justice and to also bring about peace and stability. Thanks for that inspiring story. And, and again, I really want to appreciate your, your leadership in the global labor movement. It's really for us a, a real privilege and a pleasure to have you with us. Was there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to comment on? Part of our very rich history here at the Nigerian Labor Congress uh, is the fact that we have had uh, consecutively leaders that are committed to workers' issues and workers' welfare. From the first NLC, which came into being in the 40s, uh, our labor leader number one, we call him Michael Imodu from the railway, uh, to the current NLC, which was then formed in 1978, which our pioneer president, Elijah Hassan Sumunu, who later became the General Secretary of Organization of African Trade Union Unity, up to myself, is because of that very rich tradition and uh, that we have earned the confidence of our employers, we have earned the confidence of the citizens, and that is the tradition that we want to keep. And I think that is one tradition that uh, trade unionists around the world uh, need to keep. So it's not that there are no challenges, there are challenges. But as the challenges come, we'll continue to engage those challenges so that we keep the sanctity of this organization that is protecting the interests of workers globally. And uh, every regime that has come, they have tried to undermine workers' interests uh, by trying to whittle down the powers of organized labor, including trying to build a dichotomy between workers. I think there is a price to pay for us to continue to remain relevant. It's internal vigilance. So trade unions mm -hmm. must continue to be internally vigilant and uh, continue to be committed to the ideals of the trade union movement and ideology, and also remain focused in making sure that we're able to achieve for our members and also for our movement. So I think that is one area that I think is worth sharing with our global colleagues, including American Federation of Labor, because I read their history. I read also the history of uh, the TUC in UK, which used to be very vibrant until Margaret Thatcher came with so many reforms uh, to now undermine workers' interests because they believe that once workers are united, uh, then there is no limit 
to what they can be able to achieve. So I think it's one inspiring thing that we need to uh, focus on it to make sure that our collective interest is not undermined at any point in time. Thank you so much for your generosity with your time today and for this really inspiring conversation. And I just really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for doing this. Thank you very much. More than 82% of workers and their families in Africa are not covered by social protections. And half of the workers around the world had no social protection before the pandemic at all. Informal economy workers, frontline health workers, all workers everywhere must know that when they are on the job, they are safe. That when they lose their job, they will still be able to feed their children and send them to school. That when they are sick, they can stay home and get well without losing their job or taking a pay cut. The global labor movement is committed to a future of work, a future after COVID, where workers everywhere have a new social contract. A new social contract is what we need to protect workers against shocks like a pandemic. A new social contract for workers means social justice. We know that to build back better, we must plan a future of work with green jobs that don't harm the environment but support workers and their families. The best way to achieve this future is with workers themselves working through their unions where they have a voice, they have power. Thanks again to my brother Ayuba Weba for his incredible leadership on behalf of workers in Nigeria and throughout the world. All of us in the global union movement are so lucky to have him as our leader. As we close this first season of the Solidarity Center podcast, I'm so grateful to the brave and amazing worker advocates who shared their stories with us. I hope you, like me, got inspiration from hearing how they stand up for democracy in the face of repression or join shoulder to shoulder with workers to build a workplace and a world where everyone is treated with dignity on the job. And I'm also grateful to all of you who have listened this season, who have shared the incredible stories of these labor heroes on social media and recommended the show to a friend. I'm happy to announce that we're already at work planning for season two of the Solidarity Center podcast for fall 2021. If you're not already a subscriber, be sure to hit subscribe or follow and don't miss a minute. Until then, you can keep up with the latest developments in global labor rights at our website, solidaritycenter.org, and through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Solidarity Center. This podcast is a production of thestoryproducer.com with executive producer Tyler Green and producer and engineer Adam Yaffe. The Solidarity Center podcast is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. And special thanks to the staff of the Solidarity Center who assisted with this podcast. In more than 60 countries around the world, we work to ensure a righteous future for workers, dignity, freedom, equality, and justice. For the Solidarity Center podcast, I'm Shauna Bader-Blau. Thanks for listening.